second session in our study in the book of Joel. Last week, we looked at verses 1 through to 14 of Joel chapter 1, and we saw about the invasion of the locusts. And this was a wake-up call for the children of Israel to gather together and to proclaim a fast. Now, in verses 15 onwards, the prophet Joel is reiterating, if you were to say, the call for repentance and giving us some reasons why this fast is definitely very, very essential. And this fast should also be taken not very casually. If you notice in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, Jesus began by saying, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So the call here when it comes and says, hey, guys, it's high time that we come together and repent. When we see these actions that God has allowed to take place, it's a call for repentance. But there's also a warning to say, make sure that this is really from your heart. John Piper wrote a book on fasting called A Hunger for God. And in this book, this is what he wrote. He said, Jesus is testing the reality of God in our lives. Do we really have a hunger for God himself or a hunger for human admiration? Oh, how easy it is to do religious things if other people are watching, preaching, praying, attending church, reading the Bible, acts of kindness and charity. They all take on a certain pleasantness of the ego if we know that others will find out about them and think well of us. It is a deadly addiction for esteem that we have. So when the people of God are called to fast in response to the uh, locust plague, God actually wanted them to repent from their hearts. He says he wanted to make sure, let it not just be an external affair. That is why in verse 15, which is the theme of the book, you know, he says, Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near, and as destruction from the Almighty it comes. And as destruction from the Almighty it comes. So this evening our focus of study would be on this theme of the day of the Lord. And what does it mean? And what should we be doing in preparation for that day. The day of the Lord may be defined as the time of the decisive visitation of Yahweh, when he intervenes to punish the wicked, deliver and exalt the faithful remnant who worship him, and establish his own rule. So when you're thinking about the day of the Lord, there are two aspects of it. There is the judgment of God for the people who are not faithful, and there's the salvation of God to the people who are faithful to him. So the people in Joel's time had just experienced a contemporary day of the Lord. You know? In other words, by the visitation of the locusts, this was a, a, a wake-up call for them. But that wake-up call, that which had happened, 
was an, an intended to cause the people of God to know that in the future, there's going to be a day of the Lord. And that day of the Lord is very much near. So what was happening right then with the destruction of the locusts was going to be a warning sign, a wake-up sign for the people to repent and turn to the Lord because there was going to come a time, come time soon, when there would no longer be any time for repentance. This is the time for repentance. So, even as we have been considering present-day events in the light of you know, God's perspective, we must understand that all that is happening in the world, whether it's the economic, whether it's the political, whether it is you know, the pandemic, all these things should be as wake-up calls for us. So, let's look at the passage this evening from verse 15 onwards and learn some important principles this evening. Okay, verse 15 speaks about the impending day of the Lord, the impending day of the Lord. Look at that verse, it says, alas for the day, alas for the day. The word alas signifies a grief or a lamentation or a woe. And when it says that the day of the Lord is near, it signifies the Lord's ability the power and the confidence that we can have in God that this disorder will definitely be corrected. So when you're speaking about the word alas, it is speaking about a sadness and grief that will be there for those individuals who have not turned to God, for those individuals who have not made use of the wake-up call. For those individuals who think that it is just the new normal, life will still go on the same. No, alas for the day. Let it be a time of lamentation and woe because the day of the Lord, the final judgment day of the Lord is definitely near. So when you see the locust plague, Joel was telling them, remember that things are not going to get better. Things are only going to get worse because Another day of the Lord is going to come, and this day of the Lord will come as a destruction from the Almighty. So if the locusts have eaten everything, you know, let that be a wake-up call, because there's going to be a destruction that is going to come from the Almighty. So rather than seeing the locust plague as an end of the people's troubles, Joel was seeing it as a prelude to something worse. Now, when you've been thinking about all that has been taking place in the world, people have been coming up with new things. If we do this, if we do this, if we do this, then all these things will be solved. No, no. This is only a wake-up call to remember the best is not to come, the worst is to come for those individuals who have not responded to God, who have not responded to the wake-up call. So that is why it's speaking of over here and saying, Alas, let it be a time of lament and grief and mourning for them. But those individuals who have responded, it is not going to be a time of grief, but it's going to be a time of joy and gladness. So when you're thinking about these words, alas, for the day, for the day of the Lord is near. So just as much as man has his day, the Lord also has his day. In other words, the phrase, the day of the Lord, is that this is 
the Lord's time. This is the Lord's time. God has his time. God has his timetable, if you were to say. Okay. There is a day that has been ordained. There is a day that has been fixed. Okay. For each one of us who are alive here on earth now, the Bible says it is appointed unto man who wants to die. That day has been fixed. For those who would be still alive when he comes back, that day is also fixed. No man knows the day or the hour of his coming, but the Father knows. And that appointed time, he is going to come back again. And the judgment day, the judgment seat of Christ, all these things are speaking of the day, the day. This is something that God has fixed. So if man thinks this is his day, now he can enjoy his life. What the Lord is really saying is, hey guys, you know, take care. Because I also have my day. or I also have my timetable. So instead of living our lives according to our own timetable, it's high time. It's high time, I believe, that we need to align ourselves with God's timetable. Watch the signs. Watch his awaiting. Fulfill God's purpose in your life so that at any time, whether we die or he comes back again, we are found to be ready and waiting. So, when used generally, this phrase, you know, the day of the Lord, refers to any period of time in which God is dealing with his people in dramatic, direct ways. Okay? It was usually described for the Lord's dealings with the children of Israel, but it is also used in scripture for his dealings with other nations, for example, Edom in the book of Obadiah, or Assyria and Babylon in the book of Isaiah. But it is always associated with either judgment and or a blessing. Okay? So when you're thinking about you know, this phrase, the day of the Lord, it is always speaking about these two things, one or the other. Okay? It may refer to the past, you know, the day of the Lord, what has happened in the past, like for example, jo you know, Joel is speaking about what is happening here and what is going to happen when the Babylonian kingdom was going to come. But also in the future, the you know, distant you know, future where the Lord himself will come and judge the earth. Okay? So this phrase, day of the Lord, would also appear in the book of uh, Revelation as well. So the day of the Lord, the fixed day, is near, is near. And we must ask ourselves this evening, are we confident of the Lord's coming back soon? Is near. Because the more we recognize this, the more we will be living our lives, not from the earthly perspective, not from our timetable, but according to God's timetable. And here it says it will come as destruction from the Almighty, as destruction from the Almighty. Okay, the Hebrew term destruction forms a powerful wordplay, if you were to say, with the word Almighty. These two words, if you notice, are like a, 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 a wordplay. The word that is used for destruction is the word shode, okay? And the word that is used for Almighty is shaddai, okay? Shode Shaddai. It's a sound. When you think about that sound itself, you know, it should have caused them to recognize, hey, there is something that is going to happen. It would have attracted the ear of the hearers 
and also would have been shocking to them when they recognize the meaning that is lying behind the sounds. Okay, the El Shaddai God, the Almighty, All-Powerful God, is going to come with destruction. Shode. Okay. In other words, he's saying this is going to be a very, very in a complete thing that God is going to do, just as much as the locusts, you know, the different uh, strains of locusts, the different types of locusts were destroying and destroying and destroying. Similarly, when the Almighty destroys, when the Almighty, the day of the Lord comes in, it is only going to be a total destruction. So what they are experiencing just now, through the invasion of the locusts is just a glimmer of things that have yet to come. The day of the Lord will definitely, definitely be worse. Now, the day of the Lord, this phrase occurs 18 times in prophetic literature, but it occurs mainly in the book of uh, Joel as well as in Zephaniah many, many times. So Joel was actually warning the people because the locusts were only a taste of the day of the Lord. Ask ourselves, even when you see all the destruction that is taking place right now, you know, that's only a taste of the day of the Lord. A more severe judgment is you know, just around the corner. It is just around the corner because it is going to bring about devastation, destruction of the wicked. But those of us who know the Lord and love the Lord, you know, that is not going to be a day of destruction because that is going to be a day of rejoicing when we are looking forward for his coming to live with him forever. So in these words, again, you know, what Joel is saying, hey, if the day of the Lord, which is going to be so destructive, it is going to come, make sure that you do not have just an external fast, Make sure you don't have just an external uh, repentance. Make sure there is a real heart cry, a real heart cry to God. And that is what he mentions in verses 16 to 20. First of all, he expresses, if you were to say, a summary. All the destruction that has been taken place, the devastation that has taken place, he narrates it again. He narrates it again. And then it is like saying, look at all that God has done. If we do not repent soon, the Lord will judge us even more severely, even more severely. So there's a repetition, as it were, or a reminder, as it were, to say, hey, guys, it is high time that you take stock of the situation. And I believe even when we are thinking about what is happening in the world today, the first wave was over, the second wave is coming, and people speak about third waves and things like that. You know, We must look at all these things that are happening and saying, hey, if look at all that is happening. Look at all that God is doing in this world. If we don't repent soon enough, the Lord's judgment is definitely going to come. It would be a time of alas. It will be a time of woe. And this is why the call for repentance is called upon. Okay, So Joel is looking around at all the devastation caused by the locusts and saying, look at what God has done. If we don't repent soon, the Lord will judge us even more severely. So in the first verse, you know, he's speaking about what's happening in the physical realm. 
in the physical realm. He is saying, you know, uh, has not food been cut off before our eyes? Okay, has been cut off before our eyes. Physically, it happened very, very abruptly. Okay, I am sure when things happened last year abruptly, when lockdowns are put in place, when suddenly overnight things are shut down, food is not available. I wonder if this was came before our eyes or even when we hear today about situations getting worse and the possibilities like this, you know, in the physical realm, something happens very abruptly. Food has been cut off before our eyes. One day there was you know, plenty in the house and suddenly the next day there was not much and you had to soon ration it. So, if when God's hand is lifted up, men will not see, then when his hand is laid on them, then they shall see. Okay. When God's hand is lifted up, men will not see it. When his hand is laid on them, they shall see. So when there has been food that has been plenty, we have not thought about God. God says, okay, I will take it off. It will be cut off before your very eyes. It will be very abrupt so that you recognize it is not because of your blood, sweat and tears. You have all these that you have. It is because of the blessing of God. So in the physical realm, things happen suddenly, abruptly. Whether it is the food that has been cut off, okay, or in the second area, in the emotional and the spiritual realm, in the emotional and the spiritual realm. Gladness and joy is cut off from the house of our God. Individuals have lost their loved ones, there is emotional distress. Also in the spiritual area, from the house of God, gladness and joy has been cut off. I'm sure you would agree with me when you think about what's happening in the world, Lord uh, many places are not able to meet offline in the house of God, where they could get together earlier and with great gladness of joy, worship. Now, may not be possible. There's not much of that, you know, coming together. Yes, we are meeting online, definitely. But an individual who has not really come into the presence of God with a heart for God. Remember, as we started off, we spoke about fasting only externally. So if a person went to church only so that he could be seen by other people as a religious person, now that is not there. So what's happening to his spiritual life? What's happening to his faith? Now he may not even be watching services online. And if you know, online and offline services start back again, how many would still be willing to go. Why? Gladness and joy is cut off. If we don't really have the life of God in us, then when the physical things are removed, we say, what can we do? But individuals who have the gladness and joy, individuals who still know and love the Lord individually, whether it is offline or online, you still have the gladness and the joy of God. So this is something that we must check up in our lives even this evening. Do you depend only on the externals for the gladness and joy or is your gladness and joy 
internal. So, whether it's in the physical realm or in the emotional and the spiritual realm, if these things are taken off, what is your response? You know, what is your response? Do you see the hand of God in all this? Or do you sit and blame God for it? Also, it says in verse 17 and 18, the lack of food impacts both man as well as beast. Okay. He spoke about the lack of food for mankind. Now he's speaking about the lack of food even for the uh, beasts of the earth. Okay. The prophet returns to describe the grievousness of this calamity, okay, where both corn and cattle, both of them are destroyed. Verse 17 tells us about the impact of man, where there's no harvest to collect and to store. The seeds shrivel under their clods, the storehouses are desolate, barns are torn down, for the grain is dried up. The grain is dried up. No longer can crops be kept in the barns, and they are lying desolate. Why? Because there's no crop coming in. Why is there no crop coming in? Because there is drought, there is famine. Things have dried up, even the seeds, you know, which should germinate, you know, they're all dried up, or maybe they are eaten up by insects under the ground. Earlier, when, when one, one crop failed, you know, the farmer hoped that the next may make it up. But here there is total despair because there are no longer any more seeds also because the seeds have all shriveled up under the clods. Total famine on earth. What about the impact on the beast? What about the impact on the beasts of the earth? You know, the scripture tells us over here how the beasts groan. The herds of cattle wander aimlessly because there is no pasture for them. Even the flocks of sheep suffer. Okay, locusts came, have eaten up everything. As a result, there's nothing left. And that has made an impact both on mankind as well as on the beast. And the response on the beast is spoken of here, where it says, how the beast groan. How the beast groan. The prophet Joel is taking notice of this and saying, hey guys, okay, I'm calling you to repentance. I'm calling you to you know, proclaim a fast. But let me remind you, even the beasts are groaning. Even the beasts are groaning, okay? And take notice of it, you know, so that you would lay to heart the judgment that is soon going to come. The groans of the cattle should soften their hard and you know, hardened hearts, okay? These uh, uh, beasts you know, are perplexed, you know? they have no water, and as a result, they are groaning. The scripture tells us all creation is groaning. All creation is groaning. What are they groaning for? Groaning for? For the redemption. Sin has affected and they are waiting for that day. They are waiting for that day where the Lord will bring about total redemption. And the call from the prophet Joel here is, hey guys, you know, you're not really being bothered about that. Look at even the nature even the bees are groaning and waiting for that day. Will we stop and even look at what's happening in the world? When you look at all that is happening in nature, these are all warning signs that God gives to us and says, hey, how the bees are groaning. If they are doing it, if they are anticipating, if they are waiting for the day of the Lord, make sure that you as human beings look forward 
for that day. And how can we look forward for that day? It is only when we turn to God, when we turn to God. And that is the immediate response. That's the response that we can definitely have. Okay, God has a purpose for all these events that are happening in the world today. Okay, But they are not the end in themselves. They are all pointing towards a day of the Lord. So as we look at the events around us, you know, we should be seeing these events in reference to a day of judgment that is surely coming and coming soon. When you look at all that is happening, political, economic, you know, social, you know, changes that are happening in laws, you know, changing that are happenings in ethics, when you think of all these things that are happening in the world, our call should be, hey, you know, this is all leading up to God's judgment. So seeing the total devastation, the prophet is crying out and says, to you, O Lord, I call. Verse 19, to you, O Lord, I call. And I believe even this evening, that should be our response. We can look at the world around us and take it in our stride and say, okay, one more day. But we must be crying to the Lord even in these days. Because the more we sit lamenting the impact of these tragedies from God's perspective, the more we will be convinced that we need to be released from every idol that occupies our hearts so that we can go to God and call to him and say, like the animals that have no food, just like they thirst and pant for you, O God, that's how we need you. That's how we need you. So as God explains these events you know, through the prophet, his main call to his people is, come back, come back, return to me, return to me. And in the story of the prodigal son, we find that the son had to hit rock bottom before he considered returning to his father, isn't it? He even ate from what was given to the pigs. That didn't not really bother him in that sense. But only when everything was taken off, you know, when he, his back was against the wall, you know, then the Bible tells us he came to himself. He came to himself and said, this is what I will do. I will go back to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And even as he uh, comes back home, the father sees him a long way off, long way off, and runs towards him and hugs him and welcomes him home. That is what God is looking for in our hearts this evening. Let's not be just caught up with what is happening in the world, you know, you know, but let's look at those events as a wake-up call for us to amend our ways, turn back to him. Wherever you may have <coughs> gone away, to turn back to him. And the imagery that we find you know, is when we turn back and return, the father is just waiting to receive us to himself. You know. An important question over here for us, where do you turn when things are going poorly. Where do you turn? When you see all these heavy events that are happening in the world, do you expect the government to do something? Do you expect education to fix all the problems that you are experiencing in this world? Do you have to wait till you hit rock bottom before you actually cry to the Lord? No, you don't have to wait. The prophet Joel over here says, to you, 
O Lord, I cry. To you, O Lord, I cry. It's easy to admit our need for repentance, but it is actually very difficult to do so. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, wrote like this. He says, now repentance is no fun at all. It is something much harder than merely eating humble pie. It means unlearning all the self-conceit and self-will that we have been training ourselves into for thousands of years. It means killing part of yourself, undergoing a kind of death. This is what true repentance is. You know? And the question would be, are you willing to kill a part of yourself? To you, O Lord, I cry. Jesus said in Luke's Gospel, chapter 13, unless you repent, you will all likewise repent, uh, perish. Unless you repent, you will all likewise rep and, uh, perish. The question this evening would be, have you repented of your sins and turned to Jesus Christ? So that when he comes back again, it won't be a matter of alas, of woe, of lament but it would be a joyful meeting the Lord in the air. If you are a believer, when was the last time you truly repented of your sin to the Lord? Sometimes we think about repentance only when we first come to know Him. We were going in one direction, we turned around and went out in the other direction and responded to God and accepted Him into our lives. No, repentance has to be an ongoing feature in our lives. When we come back to the cross and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I've turned away from you at time. I want to turn back to you. And this is the gospel message, both for the believer as well as the unbeliever. The gospel message to the believer is like the speed breakers that are there on the road. Okay, Speed breakers. Okay, So when we come in repentance before God, it slows us down so that we are not speeding on the highway doing our own thing. You know? That's the call. That is the wake-up call. In 1517, when Martin Luther famously nailed the 95 Theses to Wittenberg door, the first one of that, this is what it read. It said, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. The entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Ask yourself, even this evening, how long has it been since you came to the foot of the cross and told the Lord you were sorry? Told the Lord that you have digressed from the path that you started out to follow after him. Or even this evening, are you not even bothered about that? So when the prophet Joel is saying, to you, O Lord, I cry. He's starting off by putting himself into that whole situation. He's not saying, guys, you guys are all wrong. So as a result, I want you to repent. He says, no, he puts himself into that. And that is the important thing that we must recognize. When you look at the problems that is happening all around us, don't put the blame on somebody else. Acknowledge your own uh, error, your own sin to you, O oh Lord, I cry. Okay, And then, you know, in the next verse, he says, you know, the impact that has happened both by the fire, the drought, and the famine. For fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness, and the flame has burned up all the trees of the field. Okay, Locusts ate up everything, 
the fire has now devoured all the pastures and the flame has burned up all the trees. So he says, Lord, when I look at all that is happening around, that has been total destruction, there has been total famine. The only thing that I can do is to cry out to you. Then in verse 20, he say, looks at the impact of the beast, you know, which is again a repetition where he says, even the beasts of the field pant for you. Even the beasts of the field pant for you. Is our heart panting for God this evening? Is our heart panting for God? Is our heart crying out to God and saying, Lord, I want to know you in a much more closer, personal way. When I recognize your soon coming, when I recognize that the day of the Lord is near, I don't want to be found wanting, Lord. My heart pants for you. And then it speaks about the impact of the fire, the drought, and the famine. For the water brooks are dried up. Fire has devoured the pastures of their of the wilderness. Everything is all dried up, Lord. Unless you step in, things are not going to change. Do you recognize that this evening? Not in the events of the world right now, but in your own personal life. Is there a drying up? Is there a panting for the Lord? Constable, a commentator and of the scriptures writes, the brooks were dry and even the wild animals panted for water. Joel could say they panted for Yahweh because the Lord was the provider of the water these animals sought for. By panting for Yahweh, these animals are setting a good example for the people of Judah and Jerusalem. They are setting a good example for the people of Judah and Jerusalem. Look at the signs. Look at what, is, what God is doing. The events in the earth. Look at the signs in the sky, signs in nature. Look at all that is happening and recognize the day of the Lord is near. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 13, verses 1 to 5, Jesus was confronted with the problem of a disaster that killed 18 people. Okay, killed 18 people. Okay, if you look at Luke chapter 13, verses 2 to 5, Five. It says, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? What happened to them? These guys were killed and the blood was mixed up you know, and drunk in, you know, by Pilate and his group of people. Okay? This was something that, if you were to say, the government had done. A government imposed you know, you know, persecution and destruction. So the Lord says, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners? than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way. He says, look at that event. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. All those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So when you look at these two events that Jesus is speaking about, the Galileans' blood that was shed because of a government rule or a natural calamity that took place where the tar in Siloam fell and killed them. Okay, How did Jesus answer the question? Did he say, oh, you know, accidents happen. God can't be responsible for everything that goes on in the world. That's not what Jesus said. What did Jesus say? He says, 
Are you better off than those guys that this has not happened to you? He says, unless you repent, you will also likewise perish. So what is Jesus saying here? He is saying that those who object to tragedies like the locust plague or the pandemic or an accident or a diagnosis of a terminal illness, you know, now, when they object to these things, what is God doing? They are actually asking the wrong question. They are asking, why should disaster fall upon these people? Why should God strike kind of innocent people? But they should actually be asking the question, why haven't these disasters fallen on us? Why haven't they destroyed us? You see, our problem is that we so easily forget how sinful we are. When you look at all the deaths that have happened, when you look at all the calamities that have happened, instead of asking, where is God? What did Jesus say when he looked at those calamities? He did not say those are just events that happened. He says, unless you repent, you would also likewise perish. So that's the call this evening. The call this evening is to recognize there is a day of the Lord. There is a judgment day of the Lord coming. So it is better that we judge ourselves now so that we would not be judged later. It is very easy for us to forget our sinfulness. James Montgomery Boyce, another well-known Bible commentator, writes, We have forgotten that it generally takes a disaster of unparalleled proportions to wake us from sin's lethargy. We have forgotten that it generally takes a disaster of unparalleled proportions to wake us from sin's lethargy. All that has happened in the world. Let me ask you this evening, have you woken up from sin's lethargy? Boyce goes on to say, this brings us to the bottom line, which is the point of Joel's prophecy. Both the delays in God's judgment, which is the period of grace that he has given to us, and the previews of judgment in such catastrophic events such as the locust plagues or the earthquakes or the pandemic, they are all for our good that we might repent, that we might repent. So that is the call this evening. The day of the Lord is coming. Wake up that you get your house in order. So if you're going through a difficult time, if you're experiencing what you might think is a disaster, see it as God repent to return to him in a total dependence on him. Cry out to him as uh, you know, the nature is crying and panting and thirsting. Let that be our cry this evening. Let me close with a couple of application questions for this passage this evening. Number one, how do you view times of catastrophe in your life or in the life of other believers? What have these times taught you about God? When all these catastrophes happen, whether in your life or in the life of other believers, what have these taught you about God? Number two, why will you cry out to him? Because there's nothing to eat? Is it because the bottom has you know, been you know, taken out? You know? Is it because you're in a tight corner, you have nowhere else to go? Or is it because of your sin that brought this upon you? Why will we cry out? Will we cry out to say, God, and say, Lord, remove these consequences? Or would we recognize the sin that has brought this and cry out to him?
Number three, the word alas signifies grief. What can you imagine about the kind of grief the Lord feels for those who reject and throw away their place in heaven? We speak about a grief here for a person who is rejected. Think again, from the Lord's perspective, how much the Lord will grieve. After all that he has done for us, if we don't repent and turn and come to him, how much he would grieve. And is the Lord's grief infinite. Okay. Number four, do you think things in the world have gotten worse with passing time? We accept things today that would never have been accepted 10 or 20 years ago. The change in the ethical standards today. Have we loosened up on things because we think we have become enlightened? Or is the acceptance of things part of the devastation process? That God has allowed all these things. That's part of the punishment. That's part of the judgment that God is putting on the world. Number five, what is your view of the day of the Lord? Do you think it is coming soon? Do you think it's going to happen in our lifetime? Okay. Number six, is the message of the day of the Lord a message of joy and gladness to you? When you think about the soon coming, when you think the day of the Lord is near, does it bring joy and gladness in your heart or does it bring fear? Why? Why would it be a joy and gladness to you or why would it be a message of fear and trembling? Let's bow our heads in prayer together.